Welcome back to JV to the Pros, Season 2, Episode 19, guys. Boy, look at this. And somebody pointed out to me earlier this week that um, Corey is actually the Cal Ripken of this show. I didn't realize that Corey is the only member of the show that has never missed an episode. Whoa. No kidding. I did not know that. So what's my prize? Yeah, you get that buckle at your house for a week. Oh, no. <laughs> no! On, on second thought, I'll just step out. That's okay. Paco, you come over to my house. I'll just, I'll keep you around. I'll, I'll just criticize things. And then you'll be back in Chula Vista before you know it. And you'll know how I feel. <laughs> that sounds like I bury Jack first. All right, let's go. <laughs> All right, so we had a couple of big topics this week. We're not going to get drowning in politics, but we are going to talk about this horrific injustice in Georgia. Yes, but Jack, hold on. In the spirit of injustice, let's make sure we introduce the uh, the other people that we have here with us. So we have Robin with a Y. Hello, Robin, producer extraordinaire. Hello. Paco, missed- last man standing. Hey, guys. We missed you, Robin. We really did. Thank you. And then we have uh, Karen, the one who truly keeps you in line. <laughs> Karen, co-producer. Karen, New York Karen. That's it. New York Karen. NYC Karen. NYCK. NYCK. I like that. That's right. New nickname. Okay, well, we have, we have actually, we have a guest with us tonight as we do you know, this this very serious topic. And we're going to add to the call another attorney who happens to be related to Vincent Sorrentino. And the reason we're having Vincent Sorrentino on the, on the show tonight is because he not only was one of 26% that took the bar and passed, but the only one to ace it. Woo-hoo! Bar. Woo-hoo! Vincent Sorrentino is the son of Paul Sorrentino, who is considered by many to be one of the top attorneys in the country. And then his son takes the bar and just completely kicks its butt. So Vincent will be joining us and his opinion, and then we're going to add his dad to the call, who's been practicing law for a couple of decades at least. He's going to say 35 years, but he's been at least 30 years, he's been considered to be one of the top attorneys in the country. He must be old. Kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. He's like 10 minutes from retirement. Well, I got to tell you, I'm very excited because that means there's some brain power here for this episode. <laughs> All right. So, so let's so let's do it, Jack. Why don't you reset the whole thing in case anybody out there, someone out there that doesn't know what happened in Georgia, why don't okay. you reset it for everybody? So what we have in Georgia is we have a black male jogging, not a criminal, no criminal history, no criminal intent. And then we literally have a couple of guys, father, son, who claim that they thought that this black man was a burglary suspect running through the neighborhood who happened to be running through the neighborhood after committing (laughs) burglary with workout stuff on. So, they get into an altercation with them, and the dad apparently confronts 
this black man with a shotgun and they take the law into their own hands and end up shooting this black man on the street. Fatally. Fatally shooting him. You bet. And let's give it let's give his name out there too. I think we know he's black. Let's give his name. Give it give it up. Ahmoud Aubrey. Or Ahmad Aubrey. Ahmad Aubrey, right. And here's the biggest injustice. We're in the state of Georgia where we know the issues with the black white, you know, racism and everything in Georgia. We know the problem there. We understand that there's there's some serious issues with prejudice there. But these guys shot this man 78 days before they were arrested. And frankly, I think if the jogger had been white and the father-son had been black, I think they would have been arrested in 78 minutes. Mm-hmm. Now, let me ask, do we know why it took so long? Well, the sheriff's department was <clears throat> claiming that they were trying to shake the whole thing out to make sure that there was justification for an arrest. Now, we have an advantage in that we have Vincent with me right now, and we're going to add his father, Paul, to the call, and we'll have them discuss it as well. And they're both very familiar with this case. So hang on one sec. I'm going to, I'm going to put you on hold one moment, and let me add Paul to the call. So hold on. Paulie. Yeah. Hey, listen, we're on the podcast, and we're talking about the um, shooting that occurred in Georgia with the black jogger and the father's son, and I wanted to have you come on the podcast and discuss it. And I got your son here with me. So we're going to have tons of brain power. And we want to get both your opinions of what happened here. All right. Yeah, I'm familiar with the case. Okay. So, guys, Paul Sorrentino will be on the line. And Vinny is going to be here with me. So let's discuss this a little bit. And I'm going to hand the baton over to the brains. How's it going, Jack? So that's Vincent. So you're familiar with the case, right? Yeah. So, um, what is what is your thinking about how why it took so long to make an arrest in this case? Well, to be honest, I feel like it's kind of similar to the shootings we've seen in the past in the South, in that the district attorneys and the police force are getting the benefit of the doubt to the. Shooters, which in every case that it turns out this way, happen to not be black and are trying to pretend that it was more of a neighborhood watch type situation where they're trying to help the police by taking along to their own hands, which clearly is not the case in multiple situations now. Now, let me ask you, Paul, can you, can you, can you hear Vincent? Can you hear your son? Okay, now what is what are your thoughts on this? Well, I'll tell you, um, I've looked into it, uh, so you know some of my background. It really has been uh, 35 years. I started practicing um, I doing criminal defense as well as uh, filing um, and winning uh, civil rights cases um, uh, against law enforcement. Uh, and I can tell you what uh, I see happen in this case, and that is that the father of the two killers uh, worked as a, uh, who's in law enforcement and was working as an investigator for the uh, DA's office in that county. And so when this came down, the sheriff uh, 
I believe he did actually do his job. His department did relay the information to the DA. The DA uh, of that county killed it um, and uh, uh, did so because the father uh, was actually a, a member of the DA's office. The um, DA mysteriously then recused herself from the investigation after she killed the investigation, which is why we saw um, uh, other law enforcement, the federal uh, feds, get involved. Now, what is the public's perception as to why she would have killed this? Well, I think the public's perception is going to be correct, and that is that um, they, they uh, protect their own. I will tell you, you know, having done criminal law um, for a long time, among other areas of law, the, um, there, is a, there is a bias in favor of the police. And, and in this case, I don't think any law enforcement was bad. I think what we have here is a bad DA. I will also tell you that I've been in court many times um, in trial, in court, where a judge will actually, in front of a jury, make a comment such as, well, why would the police officer lie? He or she has no incentive to do that. They're just doing their job. And I've got to tell you, as much as I know that there are very good law enforcement officers out there, many of them have an ego. And, and they take these arrests personally, and they take their testimony personally, and they take winning personally. But that's not what we saw in this case. In this case, what we have is a DA who killed the investigation because one of the suspects was a member of the DA's office as an investigator, and then recused herself. And by doing all that, the investigation basically ended. It dropped. There was because the DA's office now was recused, and therefore no one was investigating anymore. And until this came to light and the feds took over, um, uh, and I'll have to tell you, if the feds did not take over, I don't think anything would have happened in this particular case. So if the feds don't step in, this thing may just go flatline, just like it did for 78 days. Well, and I'd like to add in that um, my father mentioned he was an investigator working with the district attorney's office, but he had prior to that been a police officer in Glen County as well. So mm -hmm. he had already been attached to both the police force and the DA in that sense, and then moved on to be an investigator. So, you know, there's a little bit of, of like he said, uh, good old boys kind of club. You know, you protect your own. So like the nepotism within... <laughs> So let me add this in. So let me add this in, guys, um, for a little bit of balance. And I'm going to throw this out there, especially to the uh, attorneys, but everyone can weigh in. Is it possible that this situation and this shooting, or rather how it was uh, swept under the rug, wasn't so much a race thing that it was just the network thing? Because I can tell you, spending almost 20 years in the military, the same thing happens there. And race, a lot of times race and color gets thrown out the window. And it's all about, mm -hmm. I'm going to protect the uniform or I'm going to protect the shield. I think, I think, you're, I, I think you're exactly correct. Um, I think I, I, I can't speak for the shooters. They basically profiled a jogger who happened to be mm -hmm. black, who uh, matched the description merely because of race of a burglary suspect. And I think that I think that what motivated them could have been race. It also could have been just pure stupidity. Uh, but I think that what happened was was absolutely not related to race. It was if if, if um, and I have to disagree with Jack on this. If the jogger was white 
and the two killers were black, and one of them was with the DA's office and had a background as a law enforcement officer, we would have seen the same thing out of the DA's office. This DA, this DA was, uh, she's, she's not, she's a smart person. She, yeah. uh, she, she killed the investigation, then recused the entire office, knowing that by doing that, there was no one left to investigate and protected the law enforcement uh, uh, connection, which was a DA investigator. So I think you are correct when you say, uh, you know, it's about protecting the uniform. I think in this case, that's exactly what happened. And that part of what happened, those 78 days was not related to race, but rather to, uh, as Jack would say, nepotism. It's not really nepotism, it's favoritism. And it's, it's, it's uh, back in the badge or back in the uniform. Exactly, Paul. And that, and I'm glad that you brought up the distinction between law enforcement and the shooters, because it does seem like that the shooters were doing the profiling, not law enforcement. Law enforcement, they just do what they do. And I'm sorry, fire departments do it. Security companies do it. Military does it. I mean, everyone does it. Well, let me That's ask the you, thing. Let me ask you something, Corey. Yes. I know you and I had a brief conversation about this after last week's show, because we knew we were covering this topic this week. But sure. let's say this jogger is guilty of burglarizing homes. Oh, yes. Let's say he okay. burglarized 100 homes. The All right. for that is not that. Right. Oh, I think that the shooting itself was an injustice. What I'm worried about happening is, is then all the public opinion gets swayed towards law enforcement. That's what I'm that's what I'm worried about. That's what I'm worried about here. And then you get all these athletes speaking out, you know, without really uh, knowing the facts, without being lawyers, without being involved in knowing about the law and everybody spouting off all these theories. So I'm, I'm a little bit worried about that. I would I agree with you. Um, I, I, I think that the locals, the, the people living locally in that county do not see this as a racist issue. They see it as. Uh, protect the law enforcement issue. And it wasn't even law enforcement. It's really going to be unfair, but I, you are correct, and, and I think it's unfair because this shooter, or one of the two at least, was a member of the DA's office. And, sure. And I think that that's, you know, I, 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 the first uh, civil rights case I tried back in 1987, I believe it was, um, and, and I sued one out of four officers who were involved in um, the violation of civil rights um, of, of my client. My client uh, was pulled out of her house naked by one officer who claimed that he was investigating a hot burglary. The other three officers showed up to, for, as backup. I did not file against those three officers. Now, all three of them had to testify at the trial. But the mm -hmm. fact is there was one bad actor. The other three were not. Actually, the other three went on to have very very good careers and are actually very nice guys, but they were stuck in having to either defend their co-worker, their, their co-officer, or tell the truth. Um, and what they did instead, I will tell you, they did neither. What they did when they got on the stand was they couldn't remember anything. They That's could great. Not remember anything. Mm -hmm. I won the case anyway because because uh, you know facts and because I had uh, you know because of the cross-examination of, uh, of the bad guy. But that's one out of four who were bad guys. You can see the other three were bad guys, um, but they really were not. They were stuck, and so they didn't want to lie, 
but they didn't want to go against the, uh, the, the other officer. So all of a sudden, everyone had a lack of memory. You know, I see no difference between that uh, 30 years ago or 30, almost 35 years, years ago, because um, I was a pretty young attorney when that happened. Um, and, um, and what happened here, and that is that in this case, so instead of the police chief or the, uh, the sheriff, it is the DA's office. And to me, as a lawyer, that's worse because that is our last um, uh, bastion of defense when it comes to meeting out the law to, to criminals. And to me, as a, as a fellow attorney, that to me is worse. But I got to tell you, in my career, I've, I've come across uh, probably a thousand DDAs, deputy district attorneys and, and AUSAs, assistant U.S. attorneys, and they're all about winning. They're all about convictions. They're all about their record, which moves them up or down within the ranks. And it's not about justice, which is why it is true that there are innocent men and women in jail who plea bargain to cases that they really didn't, they weren't guilty of. Maybe they were guilty of something else. They didn't get caught for or they got off of, but they weren't guilty of this crime. But the, but the, uh, uh, the jail term, the penalty was so severe that their best bet was to plea bargain for a crime they didn't commit. And guess what happens to the AUSA and the DDA? They get another notch in their belt as a conviction. Mm -hmm. And sure. um, I have a problem with that system, but I have a worse problem when it's the DA's office, in this case, killing an investigation and doing what this DA Well, did. the DA's office has an obligation to keep their conviction ratio in court over 99%, basically to keep their job. And if that's not quotas, I don't know what is, but they should be taking cases to court whether or not it drops them below the 99% tile because they've got to stay in the 99.5 area. If they go to trial, they got to be real sure they're going to get a conviction of something. You know? So I think that, to, in my opinion, it, it, I believe that the shooting, of course, was racially motivated, but that the arrest was egregious because it, it took so long, but because they were covering each other's tracks. Well, also, the guy that videotaped this shooting is also possibly facing charges. Why was he recording this whole thing unless they planned to kind of glow in it after the fact? Why would he be recording this confrontation if, if it's a burglary suspect? Why would it be so important to record it? And I realize people are whipping their phones out and recording everything. People, Most people could probably hit record without even looking on their phone. But it's to me, to me, this whole this whole thing stinks like three day old fish in the sun. Well, and I think a big problem with it is that there is going to be the perception that it had a racial, you know, issue involved with the DA and the shooters. And the fact is, is that when the DA chooses not to prosecute, not to make any arrests, not to continue the investigation it's going to make it appear like there's that racial issue on their side. Like they are, they are racist as well. And they, mm -hmm. that, that's not unobvious. That wasn't not obvious to them. And so, let's face it. The media is spinning it as a, as a complete black, white thing. Well, of course they are. I, mean, I, I, before, I don't, I don't care about that. The, the Al Sharpton's of the world arrange a march down there in Georgia. Well, Here's my question, Paul. Um, Paul, Paul, you can bring me up to speed on this because I'm curious about this. 
with a uh, with a uh, Albury, if I'm saying the name right, I hope I am. Albury. Albury. Was this his first time jogging in that area? In other words, I, I guess I'm trying to figure out no why no. why they decided to confront his mother. Him. His mother lived very close by there, and he actually was jogging there. So he, he was, was jogging, jogging there. To his mom's house. Uh huh. Yeah. So he jogs that path regularly. I wondered about that too. I wondered if he was kind of like out of sorts in a neighborhood where people are not used to seeing him, or maybe it was, you know, something that really stuck out. But he jogs that path fairly regularly. So was was he? Um, were the shooters from that neighborhood also? Yes. Okay. So then you would think that they would have seen him before. I know I saw something that said that there was footage of a, a home that's being built. That can I he corroborate had... here? What? Can I corroborate? Because I was just going to get to that. Sure. Take it, Paco. Go, Paco. Okay, so surveillance video, which was recently released, corroborates that element of the story. Because, yes, it's true that the individual, uh, the victim, unfortunately, uh, was an active jogger. But there was he was just one of many. And they regularly crossed through, the, through an active construction zone. And the owner of the property knew about this. And the surveillance video corroborates uh, his appearance because actually in the 35-minute-long video that was made public, you actually see the victim coming through, but he doesn't do anything criminal. He's just crossing through. And the guy, the owner, knows about this, and he has no problem with it whatsoever. So there was one other issue um, that me and Jack have discussed multiple times, as me and my father have as well. And you heard my dad talk about that uh, civil rights case from 1987 where he said one out of the four did the improper actions and so one was bad but the way i see it is da's and police officers as well as attorneys other attorneys judges we all take an oath to uphold the constitution to protect people's rights that kind of stuff so when you know that rights are being violated when you know as the da that these men violated this guy's rights and you choose not to continue that investigation, you aren't upholding your oath. You are breaking that oath because you're deciding not to serve justice. And mm -hmm. I see that the same with the cops. The cops have taken an oath to protect and serve, and when those three cops did not protect and serve the victim of that civil rights case in 1987, they were being bad cops. And in this case, it's the same with the DA. By not investigating this issue, despite that the guy used to be a cop or was an investigator, they weren't protecting his rights. So they were bad actors in this situation as well, in my opinion. Yeah, well, let me just let me just jump in um, and say this: the um, the DA actually did the right thing in the sense that she recused herself. The Senate recuses the entire office. What she did, that, and she also should not have investigated once she got the reports and found out that one of her DA's investigators were involved. What all of that was actually proper, but what she didn't do that was improper, what she did was not pass the, um, the case file, the investigation, onto uh, another law enforcement agency. In this case, um, it could have been the sheriff's department or it could, uh, it could have been the, the Federal Bureau of Investigation and then let the feds deal with it. What she did was nothing, and so she did that knowing that if she did nothing and she recused herself, there would be no further investigation. That's, that's where she intentionally did wrong. And, and to that extent, um, 
that's what killed the case for 78 days. Now, Paul, I, I read also that she recused herself and then it went on to another DA and that DA also had a conflict of interest with one of the gentlemen, well, with one of the shooters and they recused themselves. Is that correct? Well, Paul, Paul, did you hear Robin's question? Yes. Right. Okay. Okay. So, um, that is true. But actually when the DA, uh, recused herself, we saw this in, um, we saw this in Chicago with the Jesse Smollett case. Once the DA, the head of the department recuses herself from the case, the entire department is actually disqualified. I don't mm. know why it went to another DA or ADA, DDA in that office. It oh. should not have done that. Uh, it should have been referred out at that point to the feds mm -hmm. um, because then the feds would have a prosecutor. That's why we have special prosecutors. The feds or the attorney general's office for that state should have been handed the case. And the DA, the, 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 the top person, she chose not to do anything. And I don't know why it went to another DA's office. Everybody in the office is automatically disqualified when the chief of the department, the elected official, just like we saw in Chicago, recuses herself, the entire department is now recused. Are mm. you talking about Jeff, Jesse Smollett? That's why her entire department was, was disqualified. It should have been the same case here. The law is no different. The state bar rules are no different. Our ethical obligations are no different from state to state in that regard. So mm. she did that intentionally. She did that intentionally. And and I'll tell you what, if there wasn't that um, that uh, 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 phone uh, video, this whole thing would have died, would have went mm. away. That's so unfortunate. I'm grateful for the for the home, uh, the video, the phone video. Yeah, but it's really unfortunate. It huh? reminds me. It reminds me of the officer in South Carolina that shot the man in the back and tried to claim he shot the man while he was under attack. And mm -hmm. somebody had videotaped it on their cell phone by from their apartment. But this guy was filing a completely false police report, and the forensics evidence didn't line up with what he was saying. But he was doing all he could to use his position to basically get away with the murder. Mm -hmm. This reminds me of that. And so, I Paul, say, and I know, Corey, Corey, you hate it when I alienate parts of the country. But the way I see justice being carried out, and I know Paul, Paul, he, Paul can hear me, but the way I see justice being carried out in Georgia, Mississippi, Alabama, Arkansas, Louisiana, that whole area of the country seems to seems to do like management by crisis. And they figure it out as they go. Almost like they're working off of their own set of rules for the law. Now, Paul, do you agree or not? I, I, I don't agree. I think uh, I think you are uh, painting the South with a broad yes. brush of your own discrimination. Uh, that's just uh, people are people. I think people inherently want to do good, and people are inherently good. And there's a couple of bad apples here and there. And I think you are just going too far. Okay, maybe sometimes I go too far, but having spent time through the South and the Southeast and the Bible Belt, the logic that fails through that area, just overall, I just sit, I sit there and I think, okay, you know what? I, I see why the leaders seem to be doing pretty much whatever the heck they want to do. I mean, you know, Vincent is about to start his legal career, and I don't want to, I don't want to taint his thoughts, but you know. <laughs> 
Hopefully he's not going to be doing anything in the southeast. I don't think you're going to taint. I don't think you're going to taint Vincent. I think the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Right. Listening, listening to those two, and yes, and Paul, I'm in agreement. And constantly, this is what I'm telling Jack, because as someone who's experienced uh, racism, as I'm sure all of you have at some point, but I've experienced a good a good bit of it. And the one thing that I have promised myself from a very early age that I would not do that I would not become what I loathe. So in other words, I'm not going to paint people with a broad brush. I'm not going to say, you know what, all people in the South or all people do this in this particular state. I won't do that because that's what some people do when they look at me. They automatically assume things. And unfortunately, that's probably what happened to this young man who was jogging. There might have been a robbery or a burglary. And then they said, those people said, you know what, it must be him because, by God, black people steal and they break in the homes. So I don't want to I don't want to turn around and do that and certainly over and certainly overreact. So my last question is on this, Paul, this goes to you. I wanted to ask you, was there any sort of ethics violation by the DA one part one and then part two? If there is or was, are there any repercussions for her that she would be facing? Did you hear um, Corey's question? Yeah, I, I, I heard it. Um, I, I, will, I would say that if I was involved in this case, I don't think there was an ethics violation on her part because she refused herself and she should have, and that should have went to her whole department. On the other hand, what she did was was wrong um, in the sense that she, did, she violated the oath of her office. And the oath of her office requires her to investigate and file charges and, and prosecute criminals. And if she was recused from doing so, the oath of her office required her to go to another agency um, in order to do so. And she did not do so. And I do think that that's an issue. Mm -hmm. I think that she, that she can be impeached um, uh, by, by the um, uh, uh uh, the county um, uh, officials, um, or uh, maybe even by the state, or be recalled. Um, but she, she, what she did was um, was a violation of her oath as the DA that she took when she became the elected DA of that county. Now, Paul, let me ask you something: Is this something that could be career-ending or a career stain for this DA? Well, that's going to turn out. That's going to depend on how she spins it. It's a career ender if they can prove she intentionally did this to prevent any investigation from going forward. And if she says, "Oh, I thought," don't be surprised if if there's a handwritten note or or a note from a phone call that she says, "I made this phone call and I and I told them uh, that the D, that the FBI should get involved or or the Attorney General's office needs to." And, you know, in the state of California. The attorney general's office takes these cases. That's why they're so busy uh, um, with regard to um, uh, criminal prosecutions. Um, and, and and that's what that's the, that is the next logical step. If she can throw doubt on whether or not she did that, then it's a career stain. And if it turns out she didn't do it, which I don't think she did, but you never know what the evidence is going to prove. So we withhold judgment until that happens. If it turns out she did not take any action, then it's intentional. That's a career ender. And I have to tell you, that could also be a career ender with the bar, with the state bar.
Nice. That's good. And I think that's the most important phrase, Paul, is withholding judgment until we get all the facts. And so I'm willing to wait on this before I truly weigh in on everything. Because everything hasn't come out yet. And I think right now emotions are still high. And everybody's weighing in. Everybody's posting on Twitter. Everyone wants to be the first one to say something that very profound, make quotes and everything. And let's just wait for the facts. So I think that's a good place for us to leave it. We're going to end it there and we'll go to a commercial and we'll be back in a couple of minutes and we'll move on with um, our next topic. Okay, guys? Sounds good. Dave Beater to Pros and we'll be back in a couple of minutes. Is your small business, company, or corporation under a legal attack from a disgruntled former or current employee? It often happens where an employee decides to go for a money grab, hoping the business will just settle to make it go away. Well, this is wrong, and Paul Sorrentino of the firm Jackson Lewis knows this is wrong, and he consistently puts a stop to this method of extortion of businesses. Paul Sorrentino fights for you and protects you from sending out a message that you're an easy target. Paul Sorrentino is considered to be one of the five best attorneys in all of California. Many believe he might be the greatest labor attorney in the country. He represents individuals who may be getting taken advantage of by unscrupulous employers, as well as representing small businesses that might be wrongfully under fire. Paul Sorrentino of Jackson Lewis is the premier attorney when it comes to labor law. He represents several corporations that depend on his expertise in class action suits in which the corporation is being targeted. There have been times when opposing counsel has walked into court, realized they have to face Paul Sorrentino, and immediately moved to dismiss instead of letting the judge see that they're going to get shredded by Paul Sorrentino. Having Paul Sorrentino as your attorney is like having a legal superhero on your side. For any of your legal labor issues, call Paul Sorrentino of Jackson Lewis at 619-573-4900 and rest easy knowing Paul Sorrentino will take the best care of you. Call Jackson Lewis at 619-573-4900 and ask for the legal superhero Paul Sorrentino. Tell him JV to the pros recommended you make that call. This is JV to the pros. I'm Jack Vecchio with my partner, Corey Ramsey. We got Robin with a Y, New York Karen, and of course, our technical genius, Paco. Paco, you're going to take this segment. Talk to us, talk to us. All right. Well, uh, hold on to your seats, Jack, because it looks like your job might be extinct, or I should say deleted. Now, I was... Impossible. Yes. I don't believe it. I I need your opinion on this. So, I was reading about this. And it's about this issue that one of the bigger, one of the major talent agencies in Hollywood signed an actress. But here's the kicker: she doesn't exist, at least not in our three-dimensional world. She is completely computer-generated. Now, what is up with that? Well, I'll tell you what. Ever since '94 with Forrest Gump, ever since then, the, the prospect of replacing actors with CG—I mean, we've seen it in Roger Rabbit, we've seen it in Toy Story where they start out by having Tom Hanks and uh, Tim Allen doing obvious voices for characters. The biggest fear that was going on in Hollywood, especially for actors like myself, we sat there and and we um, looked at it like, okay, if you get Tom Hanks for this movie, who's to say you can't get John Smith, who sounds a lot like Tom Hanks, for something else? 
and not have to pay Tom Hanks money and say, no, this is John Smith. It's somebody else. And he just happens to sound a lot like Tom Hanks. So that was the fear. So when we negotiated the new contract in 97, everyone saw the writing on the wall so that even though people were able to sound sort of like celebrities, they had to actually say celebrity voice impersonated. Because mm. if they didn't say that, and it sounded like a celebrity voice, that celebrity not only owns his image, but I own my image and my sound. I own my likeness. So if someone were to go and do something, and they obviously sound like me, and I have an unusual voice, it's very smooth, it's very very buttery, elegant. very very elegant. Michael Buffer was right, 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 right. Maybe it's <laughs> through an ashtray, maybe. I just want to steal your likeness, that's all. I no, just but, want your no, likeness, no, not but, your voice. But what Jack is just saying, your likeness. But I want your body. Voice. You would never put my voice with my looks. I, can tell you. I want your brain, man. She wants your brain, I want that body. I'm leaving, That's what it, I'm I'm leaving my brain to rob in. <laughs> well, uh... Who knows what body, on in there? <laughs> well, uh, look, body images aside, what Jack here has a really good point. The uh, Like, your own image, yourself, the very thing that is about you is now a commodity. I mean, now, I mean, if that isn't capitalism, I don't know what is. But I think we could have seen that, like Jack was saying, we saw this coming a, a mile ago. For example, like uh, when Carrie Fisher died, they actually reused deleted scenes from the last couple Star Wars movies to digitally reinsert her in the film. And what they would they ended up doing is they would de-age the actors in order to look like themselves from back in the uh, in the eighties when they were making the original films. Now this has opened a whole string of controversy because. What Jack was saying is they could hire anybody. All they had to do was just CGI some, uh, the actor, the face. In fact, there was a movie being uh, developed before Corona that they want to include James Dean. Yes, James Dean, and digitally reinsert him into a film. Now, how they're going to do uh, now? That's all because they have his images because we have the technology now. But well, Paco, Paco, hang on a second. Let's just pump the brakes. Natalie Cole did a duet with her dad. Who had passed away many years before when they did Unforgettable. Okay? That's Nat King Cole, was her, her dad, and he had died years before, and they were able to digitally insert him into a video with his daughter doing Unforgettable. That's one thing. There have been movies like Dave and Moon Over Parador, where they talk about people that look identical to other people, and they replace them and insert them and present them as the original person. Yeah, but, but Dave was different. That was that. an actual person. This is something that somebody rendered on a computer. You can't, you can't turn around and CG somebody who looks like or sounds like anybody that owns their own likeness. Now, if Corey's in the Screen Actors Well, these Guild, people don't. And, well, if Corey's in the Screen Actors Guild, and the way he sounds, the way he looks, if anybody were to come along and do a voiceover commercial on the radio and sound like Corey, they would sit there and say, okay, you know what? That's Corey. And if it's not Corey, then you got to sit there and go, okay, wait a second. Somebody's impersonating them, and they didn't make that clear. And therefore, you can sue. And for people that have extreme sounds to their voice, Gilbert Gottfried, um, Howard Stern, Donald Trump, you better make it clear, this is not them, or they're coming for you. And everything you made, and then some, is going to be taken from you um, because they want the incentive to be, you can't have this 
for free. This is mine. But what, what Paco's talking about is they somebody created a computer-generated female and called her Miguela, is it? Michaela, yes. Uh, Michaela, okay. And they have... She was hired? Is that what they did? So she was signed. So what, what a talent agency She's does signed. is they sign someone. So yes, but what's interesting... Oh, yeah. But what's interesting is that um, she actually, the person actually inking that contract were just a group of uh, developers because the Michaela figure has existed for two years already. She was actually developed for a marketing agency in Brazil. And now they're going to try to use her for ads here in the States and eventually films. Well, let me ask you something, okay? Um, Max Headroom, the promotion for Coke, right? Completely right. CG, right? He did happen to look like a little bit like New Wave Dave, who's a real person. But Coke ran that promotion spot for a while, and that was a completely fabricated piece of CG. Now, yes, you can fabricate something of CG, but our contract is very specific. Yeah, but, if they, around, but Jack, the fear is they're going to start creating their own people, and they're not going to have to you know, adhere to those contracts. They're going to well, beat you at your own game. Time. You just stepped on me. While I was saying, our contract states there has to be X amount of union actors on a set, X amount of non-union actors on a set, X amount of this, X amount of that. So you want to you want to add CG stuff, go for it, but you're going to have to fulfill the contract if you want to have a union film or television program. You can't just turn around and create everything unless it's a completely animated series, and if it's completely animated. And it's CG, good for you, but you still have to give credit where credit's due. You can't fabricate the sound and the likeness. And I think that's a good place to uh, leave it. So in other words, Jack, what you're saying is, is that we are stuck looking at you on the big screen. <laughs> good with that. I'm actually good with that. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, thank God for that. <laughs> yes. I, I plan to work for a long time. <laughs> there we go. All right, so we will we will sign off, and we're going to go to a commercial for Bar None, and we'll be back in about two minutes. So I was checking into BarNone1.com and seeing all that they offer. Bar None, the number one dot com. They have certified and qualified professional bartenders and servers that make party guests feel like they're living the high life. Bar None can be contacted at 619-952-9414, and that will be the first step to getting your event on track. Bar None will help you prepare the kind of event that is greater than you imagined. They've done this for years and they know what they're doing, so they can answer your questions and guide you to a successful and memorable event. Call Bar None at 619-952-9414 and let them handle these details so that your guests have a great time with a professional server who knows how to take care of their guests. Now, they know how to make your guests feel like they're going to have a great time in part because the work that Bar None does for an event is unparalleled. Call Bar None at 619-952-9414 and get the process started for your next event with Bar None. Tell them JV that a pros sent you. back with JV to the pros. I'm Jack Becky with my partner, Corey Ramsey. And Corey, we're getting ready to move on. What are we moving on to? 
Well, the truth is really alien. Alien in the sense that the Pentagon is actually confirming the authenticity of not one, not two, but three UFO videos by the U.S. Navy. Yes, that they're finally saying. But here's the thing. They don't want you to say UFO anymore. You have to say unexplained aerial phenomena. UAP? UAP. It doesn't have the same ring, though. Doesn't have the right thing. They're not going to get the public off of a UFO. But I'm going to say this. What I think this means is, is that we are slowly but surely moving towards the actual just admitting that, yes, there's life out there. I think we're inching closer. It's going to take several more years. I don't think we're there yet. I don't think it's going to be next year. I don't even think it's going to be in the next five years. Let's say in the next 15 to 20. I think that we're going to see something. Corey. Because in, tw- in 2012, we had the Vatican actually admit to the possibility of life on another mm-hmm. planet. So now we have the the government saying, "Yes, okay, we can't we can't explain this." Now, now uh, before I, before I get to hold your thought, Paco, because there's a couple things. So hold hold that thought, please. So what the na- what the military wants people to do. There's going to be a new protocol, and they haven't put it out there yet, on how they're going to report these uh, UAPs. And there's also going to be a new standard in radar in terms of how they track it. So the military still really wants to control the information that comes out there and what they really give to the public. So that tells you that they're not ready yet. Now, Corey, I think they're being very uh, politically correct with how they – Miss how they now change the title or the designation because mm-hmm. unidentified flying object is synonymous with alien spacecraft by Absolutely. by classifying it as unidentified aerial phenomenon that basically sounds like oh uh it could have been venus or swamp gas trapped in the atmosphere as they like as the men in black always like to say now the reason mm-hmm. they're saying this is because they're trying to keep their you know the options open or at least the uh, the semblance that things are open like they it's not necessarily just UFOs the thing what they're trying to say is there is something in the air and they just could not and it's not identifiable by conventional standards it's not a MiG or a little Cessna on a little you know on a little cruise in, through the air that's what I think they're trying to get at however I do feel like this is something that they have to acclimate people to because if they were to just go wide open and say Hey guys, aliens are real. Uh, you know, then people would just freak out overnight. Well, and it should be noted that these three videos were actually leaked. So, in other words, the military did not release these. Well, those videos have been in leaked. So, so all of the horses were already out of the barn. So they figured, let's do some uh, uh, damage control here. Well, I think, and, that, you know, well, those, and they want to control the narrative, which is the case in all governments. They want to control the narrative. Right. I no, actually, I'm glad that you pointed that out because you're right. Those videos have been in circulation for quite some time now. And uh, I mean, just about everybody's gotten their hands and tried to explain it. But I saw something today on, the, on someone trying to use, you know, like physics or just like regular geometry to explain how they work. I mean, how these things function. And one of the claims, uh, if you want to, if, if you allow me, um, so one of the claims that one of the videos, it shows one of the UFOs flying over the water, but it's going at approximately mock, it's going like near the speed of sound, correct? Mm-hmm. So they were trying to use like uh, geometry to explain that it could have been misidentified as something else or as an optical illusion from the camera. 
and that uh, these glows that we're seeing around the uh, the UFOs are actually artifacts from the image sensor. Because what uh, people are seeing is they think it's just a black and white. It's not. It's actually an infrared from the camera because that's how uh, F-18s, that was the plane that identified the UFO in the first place, or the UAP. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and my let response me, to all that... Let me ask you guys something. Hang on, Jack, for one sec. Jack, okay. Jack hang on for one sec. My response, my response to all that is I don't really care about experts when they try to prove stuff. Because, look, I can get on YouTube and I can show a horse that can play poker. If I really do it with some with some fancy stuff, I can have that. So I don't really care. Experts trip all over themselves to to try to disprove these kinds of things. I see. I, I'm sorry, Jack. Go ahead. Well, I was gonna, I was wondering. We now we listened to Paco explaining UFO, UFO, UFO. I'm wondering if they're recategorizing this as it was a UAP now. Yes. Because I think are they trying to make it confusing? So that not only are you trying to remember what it is, but where people are going to be like, okay, you know what? I don't care. I, I don't, I, I mean, why not just leave it as a UFO because it is an object and to call it a UAP, we're not used to doing that because for decades we've called it a UFO. I'm wondering why they recategorized it at all. Why is that necessary when UFO is, is synonymous with something from another planet? Or something from other than Earth. Well, I think you're on to something. I, I think you just I think you just hit it. They don't want that out there. They had no choice to they had no choice but to admit it. But no, they don't want it out there that they're saying that yes, there's life out there. I mean, if there's ships, then that means there's life. Are they trying to murky mur mur up the water? Yes. You muddy the waters. You make it so confusing. It's no different than say. The Kennedy assassination. You introduce all these different things, all this narrative, all these different things floating around, and the next thing you know, you've forgotten what it is that you want to even talk about. Right. So, uh, Corey, you uh, guys should know this. You guys should know this. You guys do this all the time. So, Corey, what you're saying is this is enough, this is deliberate misinformation. Well, it's it's deliberate, like scrambling of the letters. It's yes. Like Scrabble, and now they've shoveled all the tiles, and they're like, okay, you figure out what it is if you want to make the effort. And most people are going to be like, I don't want to make the effort. Unless an alien shows up at my house like they like they did in Men in Black, another movie I worked on. Um, if they turn around and they, they land in your backyard, that's one thing. But if they don't, and they're not bothering you and they're not affecting you directly, then the government may want to just recategorize the heck out of this and rephrase it and just kind of get it to the point where it's just a nuisance to keep track of the scorecard. Now, uh, Jack, about your Scrabble analogy, I'm glad you mentioned that because recently the Central Intelligence Agency just released 13 million documents online exclusively about UFOs. So 13 million. That's, uh, yeah. So that's, uh, you're going to well, have your work. Are they 13 million confirmed anything or are they 13 million reports of sheets blowing off somebody's clothesline? That, <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, that's what the uh, that's the thing. So you have to dig in yourself. I mean, they could be just some internal memo from the CIA, you know, like uh, staff meeting, like, hey, do not use UFO in the sentence, or hey, go mess with uh, what's his name while we go depose another coup or something. All right, nothing gets released. Nothing gets released by the government that they don't want to be released. That's one thing that we really need to put out there.
Yeah, they're, basically, I, they're basically a publicity firm. Yeah, and, and we're, like I said, we're a long way away. I think it's going to be a situation where, Jack, you mentioned about it landing in your backyard. I think that's what it's going to take before the government finally just uh, acquiesces and says, okay, yes, this you, is got, happening for you got us. <laughs> yeah, I think, I, think, I think if something shows up on the 6 o'clock news and it's somebody with a long neck and a large head and long arms like from police, <laughs> Yeah, then they're going to be like, okay, undeniable, we got neighbors. But I've always said there's two things in regard to this segment that I've said to you, Corey, over and over again, and I've said to Paco when we spent time together outside the show, is first of all, I hate knowing everything, and it would be completely <laughs> arrogant to think that we're in this infinite universe alone. That's a great place to leave it, and, you know... Uh, if there is life on other planet, that is something that people have to decide that for themselves. SoCal Hemp Co. There's a good reason why CBD oils are all the healing rage. CBD oils relieve pain and soreness in joints, lower back, and soft tissues naturally. SoCal Hemp Co. provides ultimate quality CBD oils for all your pain relief needs. Natural solutions for pain relief are the intelligent, logical solution for a better quality of life. Opioids have been exposed as a life-threatening form of pain management. CBD oils have been proven to ease and relieve pain, stiffness, soreness, and aches all over your body with a completely natural approach that has been proven to work and work well. Go to SoCal Hemp Co. and put it in the promo code JV to the pros and receive 10% off all orders of $25 or more. Remember, use the promo code JV to the pros and get your CBD oils for relief of pain and injuries from arthritis, age, or anything else that may be causing you discomfort. CBD oils at SoCal Hemp Co. is your path to becoming pain-free. And we're back with JV to the pros for our final segment. And this segment will be entertainment. I'm Jack Vecchio, my partner, Corey Ramsey, and we have an entire cast ready to go and kick butt with the 70s films and television shows. Let's start off with um, films. Uh, Paco, you get us started. What do you say? Okay, well, where do I begin? So, top of the list, I have Godfather 2, not 1. I still think it's the best one. Um, followed by The Exorcist. Then I've got Star Wars, the original. I know that you're not a big fan, but we'll talk about that later. And then, uh, <laughs> I'm not a big fan. All right, so then I had to tie it off with Spielberg with a little bit of Jaws and, of course, Close Encounters. We were just talking about Aliens, so we have to mention those guys. Now, I'll tell you what. You've got Jaws in there. I'll tell you something interesting. Um, and I think most people in the industry know this, but part of the, of, the, um, of the fear of the movie Jaws was the fact that you didn't get to see the shark, except you heard the music, and it got your insides tightened up, right? Mm-hmm. Here, here's the reason. Spielberg couldn't get the mechanical shark to work. So he <laughs> that, he, it's true. He couldn't get the shark to work. Yeah, no. So the shark is actually not in the film nearly as much as he had originally planned because he couldn't get it to work. So you would be in the water looking at you know, the depths of the water, and you'd hear the sound, and you would know it's close, but you couldn't see it. And it actually awesome. contributed, yeah, it contributed 
to the fear factor of Jaws. So I'm glad that's that's in your in your top five there, Paco. No, actually, there's um, I could tell you, we could do a whole episode about Jaws, but uh, I don't want to take up the time here. And I know about Good. I know very much a lot about that. In fact, um, little tidbit: the guy who built the shark for Jaws that didn't work was the same guy who made the giant squid for Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea, the Disney movie. <laughs> I'm serious. That's a great. That's a great piece of. I love that trivia. Right. I love that. All right, Robin. We're gonna go to movies. Seventies movies. What do you got? Well, let's see. I think I would say. Um, the Exorcist, definitely. Was that the 70s? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, the Exorcist, I like the Godfather movies. And, you know, a movie that I, I've i actually never seen in its entirety, but I love the soundtrack to, is Saturday Night Fever. You've never that, seen Wow. A movie? Uh, no, I haven't. I've seen little bits of it here and there, but I've never seen the whole movie. But... That was the first album I ever purchased, and it was vinyl. And I saved my babysitting money so that I could buy it. And it was a double album, and I listened to that thing constantly. So nope. that, even though I don't know the movie, the music is friggin' amazing. Robin, let me tell you something. When John Travolta did Grease, he had already done Saturday Night Fever. And he was very concerned of how his cast members were going to feel about the fact that he did Saturday Night Fever and the content of Saturday Night Fever, especially, you know, the scenes in the car. and very the, So yes. he, invited, he invited the entire cast of Grease to a private showing at the studio of Saturday Night Fever to make sure they were going to be okay with it as oh, he, nice. he would be promoting Grease with them. And they actually thought Saturday Night Fever was a better product than what they were making at the time in Grease. Wow. And tell you what, Robin, you would do yourself... Really, you would do yourself justice to take a hundred minutes and watch Saturday Night Fever, and don't watch it in a television version. Watch the original. Oh it's yeah, a, it's a fantastic film. Yes. Excellent. I'll have to watch it. We'll watch it sometime. And to add to that, someone in our wedding party, my, my friend Christine, is actually in the film. in the movie. Yeah. And her father, they used his uh, funeral home and all of his hearse. And oh, nice. Well, yeah, her entire family's in it. Yeah, Christina, wow. yes. Yeah, that Very was, cool. We call it Saturday Night Christine. Talk about yeah. a home movie. <laughs> okay. So, Karen, you're up. What are your movies? All right. Well, it's One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Ooh. Oh, nice. Uh, Mighty Python and the Holy Grail. Monty. Yeah. <laughs> Mighty, uh, Mighty Ducks. <laughs> and then, because I've had so many children in my house, Willy Wonka. You know what? <laughs> I'm surprised <laughs> no one's mentioned that one yet. Until you did. And, and then, of course, Rocky. But my, my all-time favorite is... The cult film Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh my, God. oh my goodness! You know what? And 50 years later, that movie is still being shown on, on Saturday night at midnight, where people are dressing up. They memorize. And you know what? You know my favorite version of that movie is <laughs> is in the movie Fame, when the people from the performing arts school go to a showing of Rocky Horror and participate in the show. And I nice. love. That, I love that. So Rocky Horror, that's a winner. That's a that's a great. That's a winner right there. It is. 
It is definitely a, a winner. And Jack, Fame is a winner. That's a very underrated movie True. from the 70s. Yeah. And, and you know, I went, to, I went to a high school that was just like Fame. Karen, okay. Karen went with me to my high school reunion, and she kind of thought I might have been exaggerating, but it's it's basically a theater, and it has some classes. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay, so we're going to do our films. Corey, would you like to go first, or do you want me to go first? Up to you. No, I'll, I'll go ahead and go. Uh, I'm going to give a whole bunch that had an impact on me, five that had an impact. I don't know if it's my favorite, because I can tell you I had a hard time trying to just pick so i'm going to give you the prisoner on second avenue that was that was the first movie that truly made me laugh movie that truly made me laugh and you know sylvester stallone is in that movie that's right that was his first role if i if i have that correct correct so there's that one network with the late peter finch well there's a lot of people that are late in that movie but a (laughs) Very profound movie about the media and what the media can do and how the media can shape you. Well, you know, Peter Finch won the Academy Award over Stallone that year. And, you know, Peter Finch never made another movie. That's right. Yeah. I mean, you don't always get more work when you win the Academy Award. A a horror, there's a a low-budget horror movie that I love and it had an impact on me as a writer. It's called Let's Scare Jessica to Death. Came out oh, in 1971. I, I own it. I watch oh, it. We've watched oh. it several times. Yes. Corey, I have to see this movie. We're going to have to get together and watch it. I don't think Karen's ever seen it, but we got to, and Bucko, I don't think you've seen it. No. That's I'm, a great oh, yeah. movie. That's great a movie. great movie. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Anyone big wow, in it, or nice just a choice. little low-budget indie? Nice choice. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm loaded with low-budget, uh, low-budget stuff. So I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna give you another one, and I think um, if you get past the, uh, the rape scene, Deliverance, I think was Burt, uh, Burt Reynolds' best performance. In there, it's certainly his most rugged. And then so many to choose from with uh, Jack Nicholson, but I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Chinatown. Mm, Chinatown. Corey, let me tell you something. Burt Reynolds. A lot of people don't know this, but when Burt Reynolds started his career, he was often and regularly mistaken for Marlon Brando. I can see that. And you know what? I'm sorry. You know what, Jack? I'm actually gonna take out Deliverance because something that I've watched a lot more that I love even more is Dirty Harry, and I'll leave it there. Yeah. Great okay. movie. All right. I'll yeah, leave it because, there. because Burt Reynolds does Deliverance, all of a sudden he's being taken seriously, and yeah. the first thing he does is appear in Playgirl, covering himself <laughs> with a fig leaf, and <laughs> all credibility seemed to just, it was like the bottom dropped out, and he was relegated to making fast car films, because it was hard to take him seriously, after he did that performance in that movie. So Deliverance is actually that's a that's a pretty good choice there too. Yeah, it's it's a it's a good one. And you know something, you talk about not taking people seriously. You see Ned Beatty in that, of course, and then what happens to him. But check out Network. The man was out and out scary in Network. Really? Yes. Yeah, he was he plays 
He plays the heavy. He plays the villain. I didn't think he could pull it off. But in protest for what happened to Cologne, I had never seen it. But I'll tell you what, when this thing is over, we got to watch it. And we'll watch. I've never seen Network for that reason. We'll have to oh. make a list of movies to watch. Yeah, you you definitely <laughs> well, you have got, to watch you that. Two. You got two it's, on that list. We got to see together. Yeah, I mean, it's powerful. I mean, William Holden in there, Faye Dunaway. So you got an all-star cast. Okay, well, count me in. We'll make, Robin, let's make a list. <laughs> okay, so am I up? Yes. Okay, Um, I have Rocky, and then the best of the Rocky movies, Rocky Two, in my opinion. <laughs> Agreed. Uh, well, I think Agreed. Rocky Two is the best, the best of them all. Agreed. I got, I got a movie nobody mentioned, The Sting. Oh, you know I was gonna suggest that actually. Love the movie The Sting. Um, Close Encounters mm-hmm. is on my list, and All the President's Men. Mm. Great one. Okay, and I'll tell you something. I got Dog Day Afternoon, and in part. Attica, Attica, Attica. You know, in part, I have Dog Day Afternoon because my father, possibly the worst New York police officer in history, actually was the first cop on that scene when it actually happened. And he is portrayed in that movie when they released the security guard from the bank without his uniform on. My father jumped over his car and began beating the guy thinking he was a bank robbery. Robber. Yeah. Yeah. And he began beating the guy who was suffering from an asthma attack. <laughs> my and my father hates that movie because of that reason. But I never thought he was a good cop anyway. So <laughs> mm-hmm. right. there are so many great ones. There are so many great ones uh, out there. You know, the more we talk, I mean, we could spend, of course, an entire show on seventies movies. Oh yeah, seventies yeah, really molded entertainment for the future. I mean, it really did a great job of setting up the 80s. And the 80s was, I mean, when we do the 80s next week, the 80s was a powerful, a powerful decade of, of movies that had real meaning. They had Ooh, real we're gonna, oh, we're going to tussle. We're going to tussle yeah. over that one. Oh, because yeah. I think about a lot of the stuff in the 80s. I love the music, garbage music, but I still love it. And I think a lot of movies from the, 80s, the 80s were good. Hey, hey, that's 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 hot fire right there, man. That's some shots fired, Corey. That's you better you best believe it. My whole let's go wall into let's go into TV shows. Okay. okay, TV shows, Paco. What do you got? Um, kind of lacking actually, so don't laugh. But um, Scooby Doo was one of my favorites. I mean, because that mm-hmm. was it was on a lot when I was a kid. So obviously. But you know what? I mean, you grew up about it, and you're nostalgic about you know seeing Scooby and the gang, you know, go off on it. But you just never seem to shy over the fact that it's the exact same plot in every episode. Yeah. But, what, but, else, what else you got? Well, this was I used to watch this with my dad and my grandpa, Sanford and Son. Sanford and Son. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then, um, you guys ever see Night Gallery? You're gonna love this one, Corey. Yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. All right. I mean, come, I, I mean, because obviously Twilight Zone. But then I, then I saw it in class, and I was like, "Oh wow, this is fantastic!" And you know, I learned a lot of good writing from that, from watching that too. In fact, uh, we had an assignment. Where we actually had to recreate the script of one of those episodes, and it was almost beat for beat like the original. In fact, I got a whole a copy of the of, of a production draft for Night Gallery, and it matched up 
Oh, because and I was a film student, so I know okay. the format. If that gallery gets back on the air, you're the promotions person. Yeah, there you go. Let's move it along. <laughs> Let's move it along. Okay, yes. Before you make any more frowny faces. Um. Okay, so uh, Mash was a big one because I like watching. I saw the movie first, and then I saw the TV show after. I was like, all right, this is kind of different, but I like it. And then uh, last one would be uh, God, the Jeffersons. Oh, good one, Jeffersons. Yeah. Jeffersons a great one. Well, it was yeah. one of the bigger right. ones. It was like one of the most iconic. Robin, I'm assuming Scooby Doo is not on your list. That is a correct assumption. <laughs> you know me so well, Jack. Uh, you know, I we weren't allowed to watch a whole lot of TV growing up, so I didn't watch much. But the two that come to mind instantly from the '70s are The Rookie and SWAT. Rookies. The Rookies oh, and The Rookies and SWAT. Oh, The Rookies. Yes. yes. Oh, yep. okay. The, the rookie, I was like, wait a second. Yeah, yeah. the rookies the rookie. and SWAT. I loved, and that's where I fell in love with Robert Urick. Um, I, I just thought he was like the best thing ever. So, so you must have you must have followed him on on Vegas when he did Vegas. Oh heck yeah! Sliding heck across yeah. The, the hood. Oh yeah. <laughs> Those are that's yep. that's actually that's actually good. I'm assuming when we get to next week's eighties, you're gonna have a lot of TV. Bit of trivia, Jack. Uh, Vegas was actually a spinoff of what TV show? Oh, wow. I don't know. Charlie's Angels. Really? Yeah. I did not yeah. know that. The, the episode called uh, Angels in Vegas, and they met Dan Tanner. They teamed up with oh, Dan Tanner. Oh, nice. And it was so popular, then they, awesome. gave him his, they gave him his own show. So was Charlie's Angels in the 70s? Oh, oh yeah. Okay, so then <laughs> the Six Million Dollar Man also and Charlie's Angels. I loved both of those too. Oh, and of course now now it's all coming back to me. Um, Love Boat and the yeah. Fantasy Island. So that's five. Yeah. Okay. okay. Now, now let me ask you something. They had the they had the Six Million Dollar Man and the spinoff was the Bionic Woman. And when the yes. Bionic Woman was listening to something, she'd have to just move her angel hair away from her ear. So her bionic ear can hear what's being said by the bad guys. Like right. the hair was like the hair was gonna be in the way. <laughs> I know, that was funny. So and I also used to like when the bionic man was tied to a tree and he his bionic arm would rip the ropes apart without breaking the other arm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. So let's go on. Karen, what do you got for T V shows? Uh well. Mash, definitely. Welcome back, Potter. Yes. yes. And Hogan's Heroes. Ooh, yeah. I know nothing. Believe it or not, the Partridge Family and David Cassidy was my first concert that I ever went to. Nice. I thought you were gonna when you said your first. I thought you were gonna <laughs> say something else. I have to admit, you had me. You had me. <laughs> You know, it's you had me at I, first. I just listened to a, an old broadcast of Casey Kasem doing his top 40, and he talked about our next performer is someone who, when you go to his concert, you can't even hear him singing over the screaming. And it was David Cassidy singing Funny. some song. Yeah. So you, there was no reason to go to his concert because everybody was screaming their heads off. Although David Cassidy used to have to be thrown 
in like the trunk of a Toyota in order to get away from the concert venue because people wouldn't leave because they wanted to get a chance to see him or touch him or kiss him or that guy was was a big rock star. <clears throat> yeah, that's good. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, good stuff. Well, Corey, what do you, Corey, what do you got on on TV for the seventies? All in the Family. Ooh, guys. Yes. One of the spinoffs, the Jeffersons, I'm sorry, not the Jeffersons, Good Times. Loved, absolutely loved Good Times. Good Times was not a spinoff of All the Family. Well, technically it was because it was a spinoff of Maud, because Maud was a spinoff of All in the Family. Oh, a spinoff of a spinoff. Okay, right. Yeah, spinoff of a spinoff. And in Good Times, that was another person that I had a crush on, the gal that played Thelma. Had a major crush on her as a kid. Me too. Yeah, major, major <laughs> crush on her. No one could wear, no one could wear jeans like her. Not even Lindsay Wagner. She, like she hung out with a very young Janet Jackson. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Well, Janet Jackson was on the show. Right. She eventually was on the show. So uh, those two. The Night Stalker only lasted one season, but yes. my God, I loved it. And what else you got? Ooh, so many. Let's go with the Rockford Files. Oh, oh yes. Gotta love. Gotta throw a cop show in there. There's a thousand cop shows that I like, but you know what? I'll just go with Rockford Files because he also was funny, down on his luck kind of guy. And he was cool too. Yeah, he was absolutely. He cool. was smooth. Mm-hmm. Smooth. All right. And then, and then I'll throw one more out there. You know what? I'll go with Brady Bunch. Mm. They started in the 60s, but expanded to the 70s. Well, the 70s is where it was defined, you know? Brady Bunch is a great show. Yeah. All right, okay. Jack, what about you? All right. Well, I got I got a couple that nobody said. And I was I was in love with television in the 70s. But I got I got Columbo. Good choice. I got the, I got the Mary Tyler Moore show. Very nice. I got the odd couple. Yes. Carol Burnett show, which yeah. came into his own as, in the seventies. Absolutely. And my other my other big one was All in the Family. I honestly felt like Barney Miller, All in the Family, and Mash were the three greatest shows of the decade. Well, I'll go with you. I'll go with you on two out of the three, even though I didn't watch Mash. But I have to acknowledge that because so many people loved it. I'll acknowledge that it was a great show. Now, let me tell you something. You talk about changing times. The first season of MASH, they had a guy in the tent with Alan Alda and um, Wayne Rogers. And they were always playing jokes. But they nicknamed their black tentmate Spearchucker. I know. I know. And Spearchucker was quickly written off the show. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how they got that passed. But it was the 70s. You could get away. You could get away with uh, dumb stuff like that. Well, think you about know? it. All in the Family would have never aired in the 80s, 90s, or 2000s. Mm-hmm. Would have never made it. No. But, but Norman Lear knew what he was doing with that, and he stayed with it. And that show turned out to be, All in the Family turned out to be one of the most iconic shows ever. Absolutely. Fun, fun bit of trivia for you, uh, Jack. Yes. Do you know the spinoff of MASH? It was yes. a show that I actually watched. MASH Stateside. Uh, give me another one. 
Another one. Yes. Oh, oh, it was it was the Colonel and Jamie Farr, right? Oh, you're gonna kick yourself. Trapper John MD. Oh, no. I See? loved Trapper John. That's oh my god. That's a spin off of Nash. That's right. That's yeah. right. Oh, I blew it. That that's <laughs> Was I, Trapper I John the 70s show? For some reason yeah. I thought Trapper John I thought he came I thought the actor came from Bonanza. Well he did play in Bonanza. So you're right oh. about that. Oh okay. yeah. Cornell Whitaker did he was in Bonanza. Okay. So you're not you're not wrong on that. Okay, so that's where I thought that's where I thought he would come from. Okay, all right, guys, I'd say one heck of a great show. Paco, New York, Karen, producer Robin, Corey. Yes, before Jack. we sign off, Jack. Before we sign off, since we were talking about movies, I think we should give a quick shout out to one of the funniest human beings on the face of the earth that just passed. R.I.P. R.I.P. Jerry Stiller. Loved him. Loved him in King of Queens, one of the funniest television shows I've ever seen. And you know what? We we happened to be watching King of Queens as he passed. We didn't know at the time. Yeah. um, Yeah. So, and here's an interesting fact. One degree of separation from Jerry. Because Jerry worked on Seinfeld, and I worked on Seinfeld. That's right. Nice. That's that's right. Well, again, when this is over, when this pandemic is over, you and Karen can come over. I have about 90 episodes of King of Queens. We can have a King of Queens marathon. We love that show. Oh, me too. Yeah. I can watch it for hours. I can absolutely watch it for hours. I'm still recording episodes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, this has been JB to the Pros. I'm Jack Vecchio with my partner, Corey Ramsey. And I'm uh, leaving off with Paco, the last man standing. hi Robin with a Y. Hey, hey Robin! And, <laughs> and, and NYC Karen. NYC Karen. All right, listen. Everybody out there listening can reach JB to the Pros. News, views, and oddities on iTunes. You can reach us on Stitcher. You can reach us on Spotify. Of course, JB and the Pros on Facebook, where you can leave comments and compliments. You can also get us at JB and the Pros on Instagram. And if you want to email us, it's JB and the Pros, all spelled out, at gmail.com. And we want to thank you very much for listening. This was, this was a show that had a great deal of meaning. And we finished it off with a little bit of fun. This was fun. All right. It was a lot of fun. All right. All right let's see you next week. Next week it is. Sign it off.